Hey friends, Mike Myers here with the Song Rank for Guitar Podcast, episode number thirty. <laughs> we made it to episode number thirty. And this week for episode number thirty, Bree Noble. Now, before we get into that, I want to let you know that I'm hosting a four-week live masterclass on how to arrange, dial in better tones, and start mixing your own guitars. There is no reason why you can't be doing this shit from home. Because right now in the pandemic, one thing has made it abundantly clear. We don't need expensive studios to get things done. Sometimes all we need is a little guidance, a little mentorship, and just a push to get us moving because I've seen so many songwriters gain traction in this area and start making money from home. So if this is something that you're really intrigued, that you're looking to do this, all you have to do is go to songwritingforguitar.com and click Tracking Like a Pro Masterclass to reserve your spot. Everything kicks off April 10th. Now, Brie is a fantastic singer and songwriter. She's also the founder of the Women of Substance Radio and Podcast and the founder of the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast. She has a fantastic course called The Profitable Musician, and her goal is to help female musicians understand that tricky and messy world of promotion. I gotta say, I learned a ton in this episode, so we're just gonna jump into it. Episode number 30, Brie Noble. want to delve a little bit into your story because like at the beginning of your bio it says Brie quit her corporate job as the director of finance and I'm just like you were a director of finance <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like because I just assumed it was always music because when I talked to people oh, I did music 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 and it was related you were at, you know it was the what was the U.S. top 15 opera company in the world we're in the U.S. and like you were the director of finance. How did you find yourself there eventually going, I need to leave? Oh, man. I mean, of course, I was a music major as well, you know, in college. But I got this like practical bug of about halfway through, like, um, what if I don't make a career in music? What's my fallback? So I ended up really enjoying accounting. And so I decided to get a double degree in business. So when I left school, my husband and I got married. We moved to an entirely new place. I know I knew no one. And I'm like, well, you know, building up a career in music, you know, in my experience has been started by knowing people and, you know, building up those relationships and all that. So I was like, okay, so that's not going to happen right away. So I'm definitely going to fall back on the business side. And so I got a couple of different jobs in accounting. And then I ended up, I mean, it was really like a totally lucky thing that the opera company was looking for an accountant when I was really wanting to leave my other job that I wasn't super passionate about. It was just basically doing accounting for a small business. So it just was very serendipitous. And the opera company at that time was going through a lot of turmoil. So they were very, very small and they had gone back to like total bare bones and they needed somebody that was like, just really wanted to work there and was willing to work there for a lower salary at first. <laughs> and that was me because I really wanted to get out of where I was. You know, obviously I had a background in music. I had been in a few operas when I was at, in my undergraduate degree. And so I was super excited to be there. And after I started there, after a couple of years, things got back to normal at the opera and they weren't struggling and I was able to like really move up and become director of finance and you know we bought a building and all this crazy stuff 
But then like in my personal life, you know, I had a baby and working at the opera was very stressful because it was very, very seasonal. You know, mm-hmm. when we were selling subscriptions, we were flush with millions of dollars. And then in the summer we were like, oh my gosh, how are we going to make payroll? So that was super stressful. It started to take a toll on my health after having my daughter trying to juggle working finding a decent babysitter, you know, my husband and I were trying to juggle our schedules and it just got super stressful. So, and it was really taking a toll on my health that I ended up in the hospital with Crohn's disease. And I was like, I, you know, I am willing to do whatever to get out of this situation because I was in so much pain. So I think that that is when people are able to make a leap like that. It's not when you're comfortable it's really hard to make a leap like that when you're comfortable. So I, I'm thankful that I'm not thankful that I got sick and all that, but I am thankful that it really, all those things coming together made me realize that I really wanted to have a music career and that was never going to happen while working at the opera. And I was, you know, just not doing well health wise. Yeah. I've, there's so many little bits that you just dropped along the way that I'm just like, oh. especially <laughs> when you said you wanted to be, it's like, oh, you know, I'll take this accounting job, even uh, this finance job, even in music, even if it's for a lot less because I want to be around music, it'll be better. I feel so many people dance around the line where it's like being around the thing they love and never like, you know, some people eventually do make the jump in and go, you know, you know, shit, I'm going to do it. And others just always dance that line where they're like, well, I'm around it. It was like, it was awesome and also horrible at the same time. (laughs) You know, like you said, like you're, you're so close to touching that thing, but you can't quite touch it. So I loved being around all the creatives and the music and being able to sit in the front row at the opening night and go to all these fancy parties. And that was amazing. But yet I was handing paychecks to artists (laughs) you know, with thousands of dollars to artists who were living their dream, who were being opera stars, because that was what they wanted to do. I didn't want to be an opera star. I wanted to be a singer songwriter. But like, I was constantly watching them live their dream. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm cutting their paychecks. So that was what was hard. And that was, I think, eventually pushed me to be like, all these things coming together. And realizing this is the time for me to to pursue that. Did that kill the myth that you can't make a living from music? Because I feel like there's so many things where people are like, oh, music. No, sorry, you can't. You can't do anything. But meanwhile, your job was handing checks to people who are like, I do this for a living. Well, especially <laughs> when I uh, handed a check to Placido Domingo for $250,000 for one concert. That was like well, the biggest shit. check I ever wrote. Which was insane. <laughs> um, but Uh, Yeah, I mean, it did. But yet I was like, then I felt like I had to work in this framework because they were working inside this framework of the opera world. You know, they weren't Mm -hmm. out there doing private concerts and, you know, the kind of things that I wanted to do performing at community events and stuff like that and coffee shops and things like that. They had they didn't have those options, which was bad for them because then only a certain number of artists could really make it in the opera world because there's only so many opera companies and only so many roles and all that. But whereas with, you know, independent music, I'm like, I can like make this my own. But I didn't realize that at first. I thought, oh, I have to work in this 
other framework of record labels and because this was the early 2000s so you know i still yeah. thought i needed a record label and a manager and a booking agent and all that stuff so that was kind of i guess where i was going at first because i saw the opera world and i'm like okay this is what the pop christian world is like that i want to be in <laughs> yeah um, but eventually i learned that I didn't have to work within those constraints, but it, it kept me stuck for a long time. How did, how did you break free of that to eventually find your, your niche where you could be like, I can start doing this. I can start touring. I can release albums. I'm not dependent on these factors lining up perfectly, or these are the things that can only support me. Yeah. And these decision makers, like giving me permission, that was what yeah. I thought I needed um, again, I think it was like to the point of where I was like, well, either, you know, I've tried this other route, it's not working, I'm going nowhere. So either I have to give up on this entirely and just, you know, raise my daughter and then go back to an, a career in accounting, or I could just be super scrappy and try to do it entirely on my own and just start with the people that I knew. Because I, I did know that it was a lot about relationships and everything, but I thought I had to build relationships with these decision makers and these gatekeepers. And I didn't think, oh, I can just, you know, go to my church and be like, hey, you know, I'm doing this thing. Do any of you guys know any people that need entertainment at your corporate event or anybody mm -hmm. that needs help, you know, somebody to perform at your nonprofit? And there was a lot of people that were connected and I just didn't realize that at first until I put the word out and that was how I started building. And so it was really, you know, I attribute it to realizing that all this training that I had in small business and entrepreneurship, that was what I needed to add to the mix. And I wasn't doing that. I thought, Oh, well, I'm, when I'm doing music, I'm wearing my music hat. And when I'm doing my accounting stuff, I'm wearing my business hat and I didn't realize that all I needed to do was was marry those just like any other small business owner does going out there and like pounding the pavement and, you know, grassroots marketing and, you know, just spreading the word and all that. I just didn't think that that was how it worked in the music business. But I figured this is other thing is not working. So I'm going to try this or I'm going to give up. That's kind of where certain musicians stop. They go, well, it doesn't work. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> and they just go like, I tried it once and it just didn't work. And it's well, I like, I think it depends on how much you feel driven. I, I felt yeah. like music was in my bones. It was in my blood. Like I, I couldn't not do it. And it was going to be so painful not to do it that I just had to try this way. So I think it just depends on how much you're driven. And it probably is because the ones that are driven are like, there's got to be another way. They look at it more and go like, well, okay, so I need to figure this out. It's not working. So either it's me, I need to find someone else. I need to find a different component. I've been reading this book, um, Who Not How. And that was like mind blowing for me about people that go like, okay, so when you find the how sometimes, and you know, like, how am I going to get this done? Sometimes it's finding the people, as you said, like people in your church that were like connect and be like, oh yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh my goodness, these people were right in front of me the entire time. And only now am I seeing that. Yeah. And they were my super fans. Like they were the ones that would come up to me every week after church service and be like, oh my gosh, that solo was amazing. Or, you know. Yeah. I can't believe you wrote that song that was so good, you know. So why wouldn't I tap into those people? <laughs> uh, 
It, it makes sense. But but I think sometimes people forget that they forget yep. to look at like who's around them because they think like, as you said, the gatekeepers, they, you know, the 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 dudes with, you know, big suits and cigars at the top being like, <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, well, see if we'll let you in. And it's just like, it's like, oh, I guess they're not going to. But I feel like you, then you had a, such a successful run doing all of these things. You, and also, too, like I saw a clip of you playing. Uh, that, you know, you were singing the national anthem at Dodger Stadium in front of like 60,000 people. That's like 60,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> it's mind blowing. It is. And I always tell people like that is a gig that I got because of a super fan. It was because, you know, someone from my church recommended me for this event that they were, you know, that was like, I don't think it was like all church day or something at mm -hmm. Dodger Stadium. And so they were taking demos from people but only by by recommendation only i'm interested in that for an artist that's starting out you said super fan how do you change people that like or maybe occasionally listen to your music to being like that a, a huge proponent of you and your music and just can't stop talking about it or buying the things that you're releasing i feel that's sometimes where musicians or artists particularly struggle being like, you know, no one's buying my record. I guess no one likes it. No one's coming to my show. How do you start to make that transition and get super fans? <laughs> Got to be intentional about being in front of them and engaging. So I mean, obviously at my church, I was performing there every week, you know? So yeah. that was where super fans started for me. But then... One of them would invite me to perform at one of their events, and then I'd be in front of their friends, and then they would talk about me to their friends. Like, it's not just about me being in front of them. Mm -hmm. Me being in front of them opens the door when like, wow, I really like this music. And then if my friend is like, oh my gosh, isn't she amazing? And oh, you need to buy this CD. My favorite song is this. You know, it, it's creating people that want to be your advocate, and you only do that through engagement. You know, I started that by engaging with the people at my church every single week after I would, you know, be on the stage or, yeah. you know, when I used to do this evening um, service thing, it was like this rock and roll kind of thing on a Thursday night. And I would engage with everybody afterward and hang out and eat pizza with them and talk. And, you know, that was that's how you get a relationship started where they want to be your advocate and go out and, and talk to you. And, you know, if you can't do that in person, well, you can certainly do that on social media now, you know, live streaming and things like that, engaging in the comments. That's if that's as close as you can get to them right now, then do that. You need to have this back and forth. They need to feel like they are not just, you know, listening to you, that they are really knowing you. And that's also, you know, important for you to share a lot of stories. That's another thing that I did is that I, when I would perform, I would share stories. And eventually that turned into me creating a program that was based around life stories and how they contributed to me writing certain songs. And then people feel like they knew me, Right. Mm -hmm. Even though I never even even if they like had to leave and I never got to speak to them afterward, they feel like they knew me already. And then they would go and tell people about me and talk like they knew me because they knew all of my stories. Again, so many good points that you touched on there. I feel occasionally people musicians are resistant sometimes to social media. 
mm-hmm. like engagement because they're just like, ah, you know, I don't have time for that. I, you know, it's it's not important. My songs are what's important. None <laughs> of that is, you know, and it's like, I get that sometimes, but it's like, it's that's you're missing an important piece of the puzzle that when you're spinning your wheels, it's like, okay, well, are you, are you talking to folks? No, I don't have time for that. I don't engage with that. Then that creates that separation, that stark contrast between like, I'm here and you're here. Oh yeah. I call that the invisible wall. And I definitely, when I first started, I kind of had that too. Like I was like, well, I'm on the stage and they're down there. And if, you know, I, I don't know, I just, and I, it was never intentional. Once I realized that that was happening, like subconsciously for me, I'm like, this is not a good thing. And that was when I really jumped into being sure to engage with people. I was always at the CD table afterward. I'd always have help so I could talk to people and stuff. And I think that that with social media, I think that once you start engaging, you'll be hooked. You'll be like, this is so cool. Like they're telling me how much they love my music. They're telling me specific things they like about it and it will like feed on itself and you'll want to see what everybody's saying every day to you, especially if you're, you know, putting out posts that are meant to draw engagement out. So it's like, it's a self-perpetuating thing. It's just the getting started because when you first think about it, oh, I don't want to go on social media every day. That seems like it's, (laughs) you know, taking away, like you said, from my time to be creative and yeah. all that. And But once you start doing it, you'll be energized by it. Now, right there, like, do you feel like s- musicians sometimes put out posts that are just like, like, w- what's the point of this post? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, sometimes I'll see like, oh, I've got a show. I've got a show. That's the only time they're posting where I'm like, yeah, I know you got a show. That's, you got an online show. It's, it's almost like they're regurgitating the same thing. And it's not engaging. It's not pulling in. How can an artist start to make that switch from just kind of like this? It's almost like loud noise. Like they're just like blasting their crowd with things that aren't interesting to a useful form of social media. Yeah, you got to get out of the broadcast mentality, which is what you were just saying, right? You can talk about your show, but do it in a way that's engaging. Like, hey, we've got a show tonight downtown. What song do you think we should, you know, start the show with? Or what cover do you think we should add tonight? Like, what's the fav- your favorite cover that we do? Or, you know, something that's going to get them to respond. Otherwise, they just look at it and go, yep. You know, but <laughs> if they respond, then they'll be like, oh, maybe I could make it downtown tonight to the show. You know, because it's giving them more time thinking about you and what you do and how much they like it. It's how you're saying that almost like asking a question, trying to to then start the conversation as opposed to being like, we got a show. Dude, nobody posted anything. No one showed up. It's like, yeah, you just kind of stated we have a show. And that's it. There was nothing to start that conversation engagement with. Now, I'm interested. You talk about like the four cornerstones for musicians of income streams. I am I'm very curious what are, you know, what are some of those ways especially for musicians now they're like there's no way to make money right now. And oh, it's man. I, I know, it's always the blanket <laughs> statement of just like, you know, there's no way that we can do this right now. We're in a pandemic, man. We can't do anything. And it's like yeah, you can. <laughs> you you absolutely can. What what are some, what is some advice to musicians that are 
maybe hearing that statement or just believing that statement themselves? Well, I mean, first of all, I have I, like I literally have no patience for people with that attitude. I mean, you're if you have that attitude, you're already self-defeated. Like you're not going to find any, you know, nothing is going to come your way. You're just going to push everything away with your negativity. So, you know, may as well stop listening now. If that's your <laughs> if that's your attitude. But um so the four cornerstones, at least the way that I see them when I talk about them on the Profitable Musician show is First of all, the recording and, you know, releasing of music, right? Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, but streaming, nobody makes any money. You know, you can still make money from releasing music. And I see people all the time saying how much money they're making from streaming. Yeah, if you look at it as I'm only getting this tiny little bit per play, but if you're really working it, you can get a heck of a lot of plays. So it's not that you can't make money that way. It's just not in the way that we used to at 99 cents a download. But people are still selling CDs now. They really are. You just want to be strategic about it. How can you create a package? How can you bundle it with other things? Or maybe you create a, you know, my career so far discography kind of offering. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things people want to buy. So that's, you know, Releasing and recording music, that's one. The second one would be performing. So whether it's performing in person or live streaming, that's a great way to still make money. People are still doing really well with um, either private concerts online, you know, tip jar. And it, obviously we're getting back into the time that we can start performing, even if it's at low capacity. And I think we're all starving for that. So I would encourage you to start looking now, even if you think that maybe people aren't booking. I think they are booking because I know some of my students have been booking for sure. Yeah. Um, and then the third one, and you know all about this one, is teaching and coaching. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, musicians, we all have something to share that we can help people that are, you know, have, haven't gone as far in their craft or experience as we have. I know, you know, tons of musicians who are teaching songwriting, teaching voice, teaching instrument, uh, instrumental stuff, you know, recording online courses, teaching in group, teaching online or in person, you know, private online or in person. There's so many ways that you can, can help upcoming musicians. And you may not realize that you have enough knowledge to help somebody. I can totally relate with that. Yeah, you can. But because it was just like, I fought because I thought, what do I know? <laughs> like, seriously, what can I give? I, I, you know, I don't know that much. I remember when I was offered the first job for teaching, I declined it at first. Mm. And then I was just like, and I realized I was working at a car wash. And then I was like, <laughs> I know, it seems, I know that's the, that's the response it should get. But I was immediately like, oh, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to, what am I going to teach them? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to teach them how, you know, they'll be, they'll, I'll teach everything I know within the week and it's going to be done. And how can I make a viable income from that? That was beyond bull. And I remember we're like four lessons in and some of these students were just talking still. And I'm like, we haven't even picked up the guitar yet. Like, <laughs> and it's just like, we're talking about it. We're maybe strumming a little bit, but I'm like, and then sometimes you think you need to be like miles down the road, but it's like, no, sometimes you just need to be one or two steps ahead down the path than someone else because they're kind of like, oh, look at them. 
they're two steps ahead. They're way better. And meanwhile, it was just like, it was the most fulfilling thing I could ever do because yes, I could make an income from it, but the relationships and then getting people to start believing. And you probably feel the same Mm -hmm. when you see someone go from this particular mindset of, well, maybe I can to eventually being like they own the thing and how they walk in the room is completely different than maybe a couple months ago. It's crazy. And it is like very, very addicting, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to see that it's like, oh my gosh, like I helped this person make this change. That is so cool. And like you said, uh, we don't realize there's so many things that we know that have just become like second nature. And we don't realize that people don't know them. And I'm constantly surprised still after six years of this, of like, wait, people are still saying, I didn't know that I should have an email list, you know, stuff (laughs) like that, that to me is like, what, (laughs) you know, but there are new people coming up every day that to them, that is like completely foreign. So I think we just need to realize that when we've done a good job of being a learner and being um, somebody that assimilates everything, it becomes so second nature that we don't think, oh yes, I can teach them this, this, and this until they start asking these questions and like, wait, (laughs) wait, I I didn't even anticipate (laughs) you had this question. This seemed obvious, but you know, I'm not going to talk down to you because I'm sure I was there a long time ago and had this question. I just had to chime in on that because I was just like, oh yes, to everything that you were saying, because so many people go, I can't teach. And I'm like, you totally can. Like you can absolutely, because your perspective, because each each person's perspective is so valuable. Like the way that I teach songwriting guitar is maybe not the way that someone else is going to teach. And that's totally fine because that's also their experience and their perspective, which is just as valuable as mine. And I realize sometimes when people are paying me, they're not just paying me for the knowledge of the guitar, but my perspective on the thing that I've done that I didn't find valuable at first. I was just like, eh, it's just mine. But suddenly it's like, oh, well, maybe there is some value in this. Not just like long-term, but also I, I can put a monetary price on mm. this on this thing. And that was that was hard to do for a while to fight that because mm-hmm. I was like, I shouldn't put a price on it. I'm, you know, other musicians can't pay for this. This shouldn't be a thing. And I realized any valuable content I got that I used, I paid for because I saw the value of it. And I was like, no, 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 no. You're giving me something important. I'm putting money down. You have my attention now. (laughs) That's right. Absolutely true. And um, yeah, think about all the money that you put in to getting to where you are now. What's the fourth one? Okay. The fourth one is just a recurring income stream. So, you know, things like Patreon, like recurring and like, like higher level, you know, things like, um, you know, music licensing or Mm -hmm. uh, doing a crowdfunding campaign, you know, maybe affiliate income. Like there's a lot of other things that you can add on. Maybe you're, you know, writing songs for pay, um, you know, custom songs and things like that. So, those are the four. That fourth one is a little bit of a catch-all because there's so many things that people don't think about. There's so many, especially when you said, you know, years ago before I started sync licensing, I had no idea what that was. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how you get your music into television. 
And then it was just like, it was a thought. And then eventually that thought ate away to where, you know, I went down that route and it was the, and I was like, how come nobody told me about this? Mm-hmm. Here I, I was chugging along in a band van thinking this was the only way. But meanwhile, it's just like, I could sit at home and do this. Like, I don't have to be, you know, in an expensive studio. There are music supervisors, there are libraries looking for music desperately being like, is anyone out there? And I'm like, I could do that. It's, it's, it's revolutionary. And there's so many things, you know, affiliating for someone. Patreon, I feel like some of those things, people are like, oh, I have resistance, but they're missing out on so many possible avenues. They're limiting themselves when it's, they're just saying like, it can only be this one thing. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, also, you know, I guess it kind of falls under here, but it also kind of falls under recording is, you know, you can do studio work from home. I did it for years, even way back when I first started, even before I started my music career, when I was still working at the opera, I did recording from home where I was paid, you know, to record for other songwriters, um, you know, vocal demos and things like that. Even did some arranging from home. So there's so much, and especially now, there's so much you can do. It's interesting when people don't do that. I'm just like, you're creating, you're giving me even more income, which I thank you, but I don't have enough time to track guitar for everyone in the world. But it's interesting when some are like, no, no, I only work on my music. And those are the ones that spin their wheels. But the other ones that are open to the things that you mentioned, number one, suddenly feel empowered. They have like a confidence boost because they're making money from all these different streams, all these different ones are making this tremendous income and they're happier. They're doing things on their own. And then eventually they pour back into like you have the profitable musician. Also, I wanted to delve into in 2007, you you created the Woman of Substance Radio. What what made you create that? Um, that was when I was a touring musician and I just met like a ton of really great female artists. And I was like, how come, you know, I don't know about any of these artists. And also how come when I listen to the radio or Sirius XM, I just don't hear very many female artists. I mean, you know, Lilith Fair had done a lot to promote female artists, but then I feel like there was this lull again in the mid 2000s where there wasn't a lot and it was very male driven. And so, you know, what I really wanted as an outcome is that I wanted to hear more women in the mix but I knew that like the way that I could help that is to create a platform where I could elevate women and then the other people would be like, wow, you know, they would, they would see them and see how awesome they were and then want to add them to, you know, the mix of both genders. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that I like created a platform that was specifically to promote women in order to promote women in order to get into, you know, the, the whole game of being in the mix. What I love about your story, you know, regardless of the different ways that you've done it, you're always looking to elevate others because you're looking and you're seeing what's great about them and trying to lift them up as opposed to, I don't know, sometimes when you think of music, I feel like sometimes people treat it like it's a knife fight. Like they're trying <laughs> to grasp it, like, yes. you know, that, that it's just like, the, that music is this limited slice of the pie and there's only a little bit left and I'm gonna fight you for it. But when you're open to those avenues that you mentioned, suddenly it's like, this is limitless. It's not ending. 
Like, there's no point where we're going to be like, the last dollar of music has been spent on so-and-so, and that's it. Or there's only 25 cents left. Right, and you gotta it's wrestle ridiculous. It out. Like, if you think about your own listening habits, you know, yeah. I don't have Spotify playlists with just one artist on them. You know, <laughs> I love variety. I was the queen of mixtapes when I was growing up, and that's part, partly why I started the radio station and now a podcast. Um, that, you know, is all different genres. Like I love the surprise of what's coming next. And like, it's ridiculous to think that, oh, because I like Ingrid Michelson, I can't like, you know, Sarah McLaughlin or Sarah <laughs> Bareilles or Colby Calais or, you know, any of these amazing female artists that are kind of similar, yeah. right? I'm going to like all of them. It's not like, oh, well, I bought Colby Calais CD, so I don't have any money to buy <laughs> this other one. You know, I mean, to me, like if I love their music, I'm going to find a way to support them. Hearing this, I hope a lot of people are suddenly like little light bulbs are going off being like, huh, they think about it because then it starts to make more and more sense when someone tells them this. And I feel that's what your classes do and your podcast. I feel like you're always informing others like, for an artist that's maybe listening right now that's in that point where their things are resonating and they're like, mm, mm, they're on that fence, they're on that cusp of starting to jump in, what are two maybe practical, actionable things they can do that are small things, but they go a long way? Well, the first one I always recommend is that you get involved in some kind of community of like-minded people. Mm -hmm. um, because for me, when I first started, I felt like, I had no one around me that was doing what I wanted to do. Because of that, I just didn't ever know if I was doing the right thing because I had no one to bounce anything off of. And I remember the first time that I met somebody that was doing what I wanted to do, I was like, oh my gosh, there's other people out there like this. Like I knew they were out there, but I'd never met any of them. You know, I could see them online and and the gigs that they were doing and I would follow them, but I'm like, I met them in person. And I was like, this is so cool. I want to meet more people like this because I knew I could learn from them. Yeah. And so, you know, find a community that you really resonate with the people inside that they have the same values as you that, you know, there are like all kinds of levels in there of people, like maybe even people that are even a little, you know, less moving forward than you, like you could help them, you could mentor them and then you can learn from the people that are several steps ahead of you and it's just knowing that you're not an island. And a lot of times we don't have the support maybe around us. Like people are like, oh, music, like that's just a <laughs> hobby or, you know, that's a pipe dream or whatever. Um, and not like, you know, musicians don't know about all these income streams. Let me tell you, the rest of the world really doesn't know. They just think that performing is the only way and, mm -hmm. and recording, you know, and selling CDs, which they think no one's buying anyway. So you know, we need to be around people that are going to give us that positive um, reinforcement and support and stuff. So find a community that fits for you. For me, I've created the female indie musician community on Facebook. And actually now we have a, we have a, a clubhouse club, which is cool for women that need that kind of support. And then of course, if you're like ready to go to the next level, there's my academy where you want to, you know, learn all the tactics and everything. Um, and get weekly support and stuff. So that would be the number one, find a community. So like if you follow Mike, then like, and you need a community of guitar players, like go hang out with them, <laughs> learn what they're doing. 
you know? Um, so that'd be number one. And then number two, um, quick win. I mean, I would say start an email list because you need a place where you can engage with your fans mm -hmm. in a location that is yours. You know, you need to have a website, you need to have an email list because you don't know what's going to happen with social media tomorrow. There's all kinds of craziness going on right now with Facebook and Apple and, and, you know, um, I, the other day I couldn't post something because it said that I was sending news to Australians and that was now banned. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like there's all these crazy things going on in the background that can control what you can do on social media. And it's why you need your own corner of the internet. And that is a website and an email list. So in case one of those goes south that you were counting on, if you're suddenly your Instagram, you know, gets shut down and you've got you know, 10,000 followers, suddenly you can't communicate with them. So make sure that you're getting people off of those channels and into your world so you can always communicate with them no matter what happens. And that's how you can create super fans. I wish I met you in 2009 because <laughs> I remember our band was so reliant on MySpace. We had mm -hmm. such huge success. The plays were crazy. We Ooh, could send such out a good example. I know it is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's and it was. Uh, we could send bulletins to specific areas, uh, but you know, hey, we're going to be in your area, and we would always get great responses. And then it started to dwindle, and everybody switched to Facebook, and Facebook was weird, and we couldn't communicate. And then we were just like, damn, <laughs> it was just like it was. It was hard to communicate anymore with fans uh -huh. because we were trying to like oh no and it was just like that was a huge example so when i you know started up doing things on my own a podcast or my classes or consulting i realized the value of that list is getting people outside from a conversation on social media to eventually into my world and not having as you said the rules and the boundaries of, you know, well, Facebook says, oh, you post too many or somebody oh, account suspended. This is, oh, here's the new thing you need to pay this month. And, and it's like, no, now I've got these people right here because they're in my world now. Yeah. I'm so thankful that I did that as a musician first. And I mean, like, yeah. you know, it was old school, right? Like, I think I had like list baby or something. I mean, the emails, you know, they weren't the prettiest thing in the world. And, you know, but I grew that list and I kept, I held on to it and I moved it up and up to better and better platforms. And, and then, you know, with women of substance, I always focused on getting people's emails. And because of that, I was able to do what I do now because I had a huge list of women that I could help. Yeah. So, you know, you don't ever know where you're going to be a year or two from now, but if you've got your fans in your corner, in your email list, then, you know, they'll support you. Like I've seen people make pivots to do different things with music and their fans have followed them, but you've got to make sure yeah. to capture them. They, you've got that stickiness or else you'll, they'll forget about you. It's it's almost like a fan is like a great idea. If you don't get it down on a voice memo, you're not going to remember it. Oh it's my just like, <laughs> yep. so true. It's just like, don't say you're going to remember. You're not. Get them on the list and record that idea on the voice memo because you won't remember. Pri, I, all of what you said, I feel is like so valuable. And if people want to find out more about you, follow you, where can get, they go? 
Well, oh my gosh, so many places. So um, <laughs> I recommend you check out my podcast, um, The Profitable Musician Show, all about income streams, the four cornerstones like we talked about. Um, that's at ProfitableMusician.com and on all podcast apps. Um, the If you are a female artist, you definitely want to check out the Female Entrepreneur Musician podcast. That's at F as in female, E as in EntrepreneurMusician.com or on all podcast apps. That's been around for six years now. Um, and then if, like I mentioned, if you need a community, definitely go to Facebook and join our female indie musician community. And we would love to, to have you. And, and there's so many great people in there that you can learn from. That is wonderful. Bree, thank you so much for spending time. Uh, I'd love to have you back because this was just wonderful and full of so many tidbits that I think people are going to find so helpful. Thank you. I had a great time. You asked some great questions. And that does it for this week. It was edited and produced by Chris Fafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening.